0: It's betting, Jim, but not as we know it. This is big. Welcome to the Bookie Bashing Weekly Bashcast, brought to you by bookiebashing.net. This is big, looking at next week's opportunities and last week's profits. This is Bashcast episode number 123, Karate Men Brews on the Inside. It's five minutes past two on the 22nd of November 2018. Coming up in tonight's Bashcast, Tournament Football Success for Scotland as Ryan Frazier becomes value we look at the recent value in horse racing and where we've been finding it <coughs> William Hill um, we discuss some obscure sporting value possible value in the chess and Tiger Woods takes on Phil Mickelson an insane match in the NFL after the break we revisit Gordon Veo versus Poker Stars. Denise Coates gets a small pay rise at Bet365 and a stink is raised in the darts all that and more coming up in tonight's bashcast it's the penultimate Thursday of November so it's the secular holiday of Thanksgiving in a across the pond happy thanksgiving to you if you celebrate that holiday and if you don't well just be thankful that you're not stuck in a prison cell with a barry white lookalike motherfucker whilst the phone in your limo is broken isn't that right eddie murphy yo when they brought you in here and booked you you was crying like a pussy yeah that's cause as one the cops fell, he threw tear gas in my face. And that's the kind of shit they use on crowds, man. And I still walk in here like a man, so get out of my face, all right? I mean, you you beating up on a man? You putting a man in the hospital? How come I don't see no marks on you? Yeah, cause I'm a karate man, all right? Karate man bruise on the inside. They don't show their weaknesses. But you don't know that cause you're a big barren White looking motherfucker. Now get off my back, all right? I wish my bitches hurry up and get here. I ain't got no time to be sitting inside this cell with you. Where is your bitches, Mr. Big Time Pimp? Yeah. Didn't I tell you that the phone in my limousine is busted and I can't get in contact with my bitches? Yeah, the phone in the limo is busted. What are you, ignorant? And hey look, sit down, all right? It ain't cool being no jive turkey. So close to Thanksgiving. Ryan Fraser is a Scottish professional footballer who plays as a winger for AFC Bournemouth and the Scottish national team. You'll be forgiven if he's flown under the radar somewhat in the last few years. Um, Although he has got three goals in six games in the Premier League this season, which isn't a bad return for Bournemouth. Um, He was put up front against Albania, away to Albania in UEFA Nations League Group C1 last Saturday. Um, uh, Ordinarily, this wouldn't be the most interesting thing in the world, but it was a really good use of the tracker to find value for me. Earlier in the day, maybe only a couple of hours before kickoff, like 1 o'clock, I'd seen that... Sky Sports had boosted him to score the first goal in this game to 15, 14 to 1, um, which is probably fair. He's sort of usually... Well, he'd never scored for Scotland before. He usually plays in the wing. We had Fletcher, Forrest, Christie, Armstrong, McGregor in that match, all capable of getting goals. But... So there was no liquidity in the first goal scorer market for Albania versus Scotland early doors. So the tracker said he was 15 to back and 9999999 to lay. So we simply don't know. I was away focusing on other things. When I noticed he'd risen up the tracker, he'd risen through the yellows, and now he was green, green meaning um, he, decent, definitely decent EV. There should be no question that you're getting on the green value. Um, he was, like, he really good. It was something like, off the top of my head, 15 to back, and 12 was available to lay on the exchanges. So what's going on there? That's really strange. And what had gone on is that some people had recognised that Scotland had shaped a formation... It was unusual, and Ryan Fraser was going to start up front instead of on the wing, which was pretty useful. And so because he's starting as a striker away to a really poor Albanian side, um, then the chances of him scoring first plummeted. I mean, so McLeish set up this new formation, and whilst I wasn't looking, the smart money was aware that he'd done that and so was able to drive the price of Ryan Fraser down. Now, this means a few things. One, I didn't expect to actually be able to get more than a couple of quid on at Sky, but that's not the important part. The important part is just having a tool to be aware that this has happened in the first place. But I did go to Sky and went for max bet, and they were going to allow me to win £250. This is on an account that has received an email recently telling me that um, it's now very restricted and... Blah, blah, blah. So I don't understand why. Sometimes they'll allow me... Like, if I try and bet on an NFL boost or, of course, the headline treble, I'm going to be limited to winning, like, a pound or two pounds. And then other times, the most usual thing I can win is, like, 50 quid, which sometimes I'll just take for interest. And then occasionally they'll let me win 250 quid, which is just, just about good enough to for my value betting... Um, portfolio I was going to say but that sounds so horrible so whatever um so I bet on him there then I went to top up because you know I I need a little bit more than 250 quid um at the exchange and my theory here at the exchange is that I'm simply following smart money of course there has to be a line where the smart money stops being smart and it's difficult to determine where that is but this is a long-term game and hoping that more often than not I mean Studies have shown that Joseph Buhemol has shown that following in smart money on one times two markets in the top leagues of English football would show a consistent profit over the last five or six years. And um, I've got no reason to believe why following it on markets such as first goal scorer in the UEFA Nations League shouldn't be any different. So I topped up there before thinking, oh, I wonder what he is for double delight hat-trick heaven. Um... uh, I didn't, well, now we're only two minutes away from kickoff, and I had to check. Well, first I checked the price, and he was 11 to 1. And because he's 11 to 1 to back and 12 to lay, and this isn't 2014, I had to check that Fred were Double Delight, Hat Trick Heaven pre match on that game, and they were. So, not very many people had noticed that his price had been smashed in. Um, now, I already had enough on him, but I couldn't um, I couldn't just let the double-delight hat-trick heaven go when he's 11-1 to 1 and that much value. So I topped up for a third time at Fred. The sensible mathematical thing probably would have been to have traded out my top-up on the exchange, but what am I going to do? I'm a degenerate. So I just uh, back, topped up at Betfred as well. So now I've got three different bets on him, um, one at Sky... One at the exchange. One at Betfred for double delight, hat-trick heaven. And Scotland thumped Albania 4-0 away from home, which has never happened before, I'm pretty sure. And Ryan Fraser got his first goal for Scotland, which happened to be the first goal in the game on in the 14th minute. He, I think he hit the crossbar as well before he got the first goal. It was like, as soon as he hit the crossbar, I was like, yep, here we go again. But no, it came in. Um, and I was happy with that. But then I had... I had 76 minutes of the game against 10 men when he could have got his Double Delight. You know, although he was substituted in the 73rd minute. They always are substituted in the 73rd minute when you're on them for Double Delight. I'm pretty sure he would have got it as well because Albania, Albania were tiring. And Scotland? Well, what's going on to the Tartan army? Um, they put themselves within a game... Where if they beat Israel on Tuesday. Then they were going to qualify from this UEFA Nations League group. I don't think anyone knows what that means when you qualify though. Are are we promoted? Well actually it does mean that it sets up a potential. Right. Get this. It sets up a potential playoff at Hamden against Finland in March 2020. Not next year. With a possible final against Norway or Serbia. However, those playoff matches will only be necessary should Scotland fail to emerge from the main Euro 2020 qualifiers for which they will be in the third pot of seats with the draw to be made. Oh, my God. So, I fell asleep at that point. On the exchange, uh, nothing has been traded for Scotland to win UEFA Euro 2020. They're, they're 150 to back and zero to lay, And the reason for that is that no one can understand how qualification works Oh, i've just hit the bonus on real rush which i'm running in the background um let's just turn this up guy from my my vip account manager from wicked jackpots it's his last day today oh, sad news isn't it but they've sent out um um 100 up to 300 pound bonus um which is valid five times as well, until the 25th, which is when, the end of the weekend, or something like that. So, farewell, guy! Yeah, oh, what a rubbish round. Turn it back down again. Real rush is so boring as well. But it's like, it's one of those high, you go high variance with your own cash. And then, and then, if you bust the, if you bust your own cash, it's then like a massive grind and low variance. But, hopefully the, this one comes through. Um... Wicked Jackets were fun as well. They, I lost, like, two grand in there, although I, I shared the two grand loss with others, so it wasn't real two grand, um, over the space of a few days. And so they sent me some candles, which uh, some Yankee candles, a Yankee candle box, which is very nice of them, which Jen enjoyed. Uh, Jen enjoyed, because the house stinks, because we've got... Little children who are nappy training. Enough of that. Paddy Power have sent out a letter to staff. Stuart Campbell, the retail communications executive, sent the following letter out. Hi, all. From From today onwards, you will notice a change in our football coupon prices as we improve our current football offering. It has become apparent that in many of our lower leagues... There are significant price movements from when a coupon is printed to when a customer actually places a bet. Has that just become apparent, Stuart? Okay. Um, More often than not, the price a customer receives on the coupon is worse than what the live screen price is. Yeah. So this is driven by our prices becoming more competitive as we get closer to kickoff. Oh so this is a good thing. This is all about giving customers better prices. He says I'm um, in bold. For this reason we will no longer be fixing our prices to what uh, what is on the coupon except for the four leagues below. The English Premiership, the English Championship, League 1 and the UEFA's Champions League. Interesting how League 1 is like more efficient than Scottish Premiership, maybe it is. Um, this will be a change from our current offering, so it might be a surprise to some customers. However, most other bookmakers would already be offering the latest price instead of the one when the coupon was printed. It is important that when you scan the coupon and get a notification that a price has changed, you tell your customers of this before accepting their stake. If the customers does complain or question this, then follow the below action. 1. Make the customers aware that the prices go up and down, and more often than not, they will benefit from these changes. (coughs) Excuse me. Bullshit. Uh, Number 2. Make them aware of our T's and C's. Prices subject to change. And 3. Do not take the price on the coupon. It is the price on the screen or no price at all. One of the other benefits of this change is that many customers take advantage of our fixed prices when they have been, when there have been significant changes in their favour. These customers may be the most vocal about these changes. It is important to be prepared for this, but only offer them the price in the till and not what's on the coupon. If you have any questions, please reach out to your district manager. Best regards. Stuart Campbell. Best regards, Stuart. So that was an interesting one. Um, I don't use Paddy Power for coupons, but the reason I don't use them for coupons isn't anything to do with um, their prices. It's their limit. It's like they allow 20 quid on or something like that. So, um, you know, you can have all the value in the entire world, but when your max bet is £2 or £20, then. Um, It's pointless, isn't it? But it's also a strange letter because, well, one, all of the bookmakers do this. And two, there was consensus that Paddy just did this anyway. Um, But if they didn't, they're just playing catch-up. But but I spoke to some people and they were definitely saying Paddy didn't just hold the coupon price. Because if they did, I mean... There would have been some absolutely insane orbs, and there simply weren't. Um, So it is an odd letter. I think perhaps Paddy have a coupon price and a live price, and this just means that everyone will be getting the live prices now. But I love the way that it seems like it's written by Alistair Campbell, Uh, the positive spin here is It starts off by saying that... um, more often than not, a price a customer uh, receives on the coupon is worse than what the live price is. So we're going to be giving them better prices. No, no, you're not. My experience definitely is the majority are cut and the minor. Well, I'm I, I'm yet to be paid on higher odds than is on a coupon. I guess that is one difference. Like when we go into Betfred, we only ever see cuts, but we never ever see prices go in the other direction, which is just amazing for Betfred um but so perhaps there is some spin there but absolutely i think that this is not going to be the over the, the point of this isn't because they want to give customers better prices the point of this is that there are some really naughty customers out there who take advantage of fixed prices when there has been significant changes in their favor imagine people betting on things when they're thinking they're getting a a decent price and they may win the bets How dare they? Some of these customers, who can be, by the way, quite vocal, need to take a big look in the mirror, if you ask me. Um, Interesting post on the forum a couple of days ago from Spurgeon. Very interesting. So yet again, there was another massive William Hill race on the weekend. Now, they've done two in a row. Then they did this weekend. This weekend... Was the we didn't make any profit, although we didn't lose either. Um, so we're starting to mobilise on Saturdays and sort of prepare that William Hill are going to have this crazy value where they take a horse race. I mean, there was the they the, they did nine horse race. They paid five places. Over half the race was played uh, was paid. And that did mean that you could walk in blindfolded and place a bet on any horse, and that horse would have been value. So overthinking could be a problem here. I think just preparation, expecting that this is going to happen and going and placing the bets is the most important thing. Even if the occasional negative EV bet is slipping under the radar, the overwhelming majority of bets being placed will be positive EV. And so you could do this with, a highly technical analysis, or you could shut your eyes and go and do it. And either way should be fine and return profit. Uh, Last week there was a... a, It was slightly more. It was a 20-horse race, but they were still paying seven places. So not every horse was positive EV in that. But I think now what what we're deciding to do is we're going to go out and plan that this is going to happen, get a few together in the team and hit the shops and they're on coupon uh, so they're on the machines but with worse limits um but they are taking decent bets um behind the till like a thousand pound liability on the win and more um and again you know when they're taking when people are taking tiny bets the EV can be as high as it wants to be. It's uh, rubbish, but it's when they're taking these big bets and the EV is good, that's when interest is pricked. So uh, i get and hope you never know if they're going to do it again. They might just completely stop doing it, um, or they might be doing a marketing thing where they offer massive amounts of value at the beginning of this promotion sequence that they're doing and then they erode it slowly but surely over time so that when people catch up with the fact that this is something they should be doing they then offer no value um because the odds are so poor or whatever and you know it's like a honey trap and they've caught the people that aren't able to reverse the decision they've made to go and smash them something something like that but we're not those people we're so Spurgeon posted on the forum, he says he's plugged the figures into the one fifty race on Saturday where Hills went six places. The first image shows us the price at SP. So the win over round uh, was 118.7%. The place under round was um, 431.9% from 600% as there were six places. So... As There was significant downside if things went wrong with the worst case scenario being minus 626 pounds. But in comparison, there was a much bigger upside with plus 1820 being his best possible result. But then he—that was just a SP where the prices are going to be much worse. He also plugged the figures into the two scrapes that I did. The first showing hills prices at eight twenty-seven. Second, I did it at lunchtime at twelve ten. And looking at those percentages of one hundred forty-one point nine two and one hundred twenty-six point five one shows that by covering the entire field and taking the current hills price on offer on every horse, it would have been positive expectation in both cases. But not—it did not have as profitable as an expectation as leaving it to SP. So if Hills continue to offer these insane extra place value races every Saturday, it looks like the best possible strategy, if attempting to cover every horse, would be a combination of taking prices on the horses with the most value and leaving the other horses with poor prices to the SP gods. And I think that is a very reasonable strategy. So much so that we are mobilising a few people to spend Saturday afternoon when they're out and about shopping with their loved ones just to pop into any William Hill that they may be passing by and um, putting a bet on and seeing how we do. Um, Hopefully it's not going to rain. Duncan posted a rainfall versus winning favourites. The other day, which has plotted this was from Checker. It has plotted the percentage of winning favourites against monthly England and Wales precipitation. So on the x-axis, there's like the amount of rain from zero to one hundred and forty millimeters in the month, and um, you know you have months such as June two thousand and eighteen where there was only eighteen millimeters of rain. It feels like it feels like nothing, and then. You've got June 2016 where there was like 120 millimetres of rain. And what this shows is that the favourites will win much fewer, much f- less frequently when there is rain. And the favourites will win more often when there is no rain. So August 2018, July 2018, May and June, four months that were really dry there are a lot more favourites won in those races than the summer of 2015, the t- summer of 2014, when there seemed to be a deluge of rain. So maybe something to look out for, to take advantage. The, f- the Flash odds horses have been a bit hit and miss recently. The funny thing is, when I get burned... Um, and take, like, a big loss, which will happen. I mean, you can't get it right every single time. I tend to be less brave the following day, and I change my staking, and then when that one comes in, I'm just cursing myself that um, I didn't stake or stick to my usual staking plans, which, although that's human nature, if I work on that, that's something that could be eradicated. But one thing I've definitely noticed, and I'm going to just say this now so that I implement this strategy tomorrow, is that the leapfroggers more often than not, go crazy three minutes from the off. And this is people who are hoping that the price is going to come down from its position, from its inflated position, because William Hill have boosted it earlier in the day, and the layers have jumped in, and it's increased. And then a few people get very nervous that they're not going to get a, a price as low as they wanted to lay their money off, because it's a lot easier to back first and then lay when the price comes down. For some reason, that requires less liability than lay first, then back. However, if the price doesn't come down, you will start to panic and take any price that's available and leapfrog the people that are already there. You will artificially inflate the price. And this is happening day after day after day. It's panickers, panic laying. And so this panic laying must be the easiest way of taking advantage of price movements in the Flash Odds horse. So tomorrow I'm going to leave it alone at 12 o'clock and not do anything. And five minutes before the race, I'm going to check that the price is still higher than it was before the horse was boosted. And if that is the case, there's going to be some panic laying. So I'm going to lay to back, I'm going to lay some money and then wait for the panic layers to come in the price is going to inflate and I'm going to back two minutes before the off but not too close to the off because then the price comes crashing down, I'm going to try this strategy see how we go, now the NFL midweek, oh my what happened here are you not entertained? (laughs) (laughs) is this not why you are here? (laughs) man that's all I could think about when I was watching that game, this was the most incredible game of offensive football I think I've ever seen I actually found myself when watching, when watching it at times with my, with my hand (laughs) over my mouth. I'll go wow wow it was remarkable just no disappointment man you you expect often in these in these games sorry but often in these games there are you build it up and you build it up and we've talked about this game for the last six weeks maybe it's coming it's coming and often there is disappointment when you build something up so much they didn't let us down there was a ton of emotion in that game fireworks it was amazing all the stars were playing well i mean i i was locked in like everybody else this was the the Kansas City Chiefs versus the LA Rams who are like second and third favorites to win the Super Bowl behind the Saints. Um one of those two to win the Super Bowl this year is 2 to 1 based off exchange prices and um this was up at the highest ever line uh, of any NFL game in history. Um the highest line before this was in the year 2000 which was the rams again versus the 49ers and they set that line at 62 and there have only been five games where sorry 14 games where there was a total of 58 or higher in the game but they have changed the rules this year and you just get this impression that market makers they haven't caught up with the rule changes Uh, the people that set these lines, because there are simply, and I'd love to know the exact figures, I might do my own analysis, but there are just more points because the quarterback's being protected, so he's not getting sacked, so he's got more time, so they're scoring more points. But this game, well, so, nine of the 14 games with a total of 58 or more in NFL history went over. Uh, The line on this one was 62.5, which is the highest line that has ever been set for any nfl game and i saw all the advice saying go over you go over the highest line ever so i did and it was the la rams 54 the kansas city chiefs 51 and that's 105 points in that game so it didn't just go over at the 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 63rd point was scored at the beginning just the beginning of the third quarter can you believe (laughs) um Every pick-your-punt would have one, and there is value to be found. I mean, I've been playing around with a lot of pick-your-punts with um, Todd Gurley. Not in this game. It was a bit annoying that it was on in the middle of the night, um, but when it has been live on television at a reasonable hour, I've been hitting the pick-your-punts with Todd Gurley, but every pick-your-punt would have come in for this one, and um, I would imagine there was um, a lot of value to be sourced with this. A lot, Most of the headline stuff didn't come in, Um The William Hill treble, which I couldn't get on the exchange, so I was quite happy that it didn't come in. None of the um, accumulators for any time touchdown score. I think possibly one of the Sky ones did come in, but it wasn't value and no money came in for it, so there was no reason to bet on it. I didn't even look at it. I don't check the ones that aren't value. Just because a bookmaker says they're boosting something to a big price doesn't mean that you should bet on it. And I did see someone say, I don't know if this bet is value or not, talking about some random bet, but I can only get a small amount of money on it, and that is definitely a sign that the bet is good. And I was like, really? Really? Okay, I've just thought of a great marketing company for my new betting business. I'm just going to allow you to get really small stakes on really bad bets, and maybe I should clean up. So, yeah, I mean, the... All the write-ups were saying go big on this, and I did. Also this week, the two professional syndicate write-ups that I read went for Seattle minus three, which is the very first time I've seen them say exactly the same bet. and That was good enough for me to double my stakes on that. That seemed like... A really surefire thing. So that's the Seattle to beat the Green Bay Packers by four points or more. So what was the score? It was 27-24. They won by three, which does mean money back. But how disappointing was that? But a fascinating week in the NFL. I think this edge that we've had betting on the draw at halftime and the draw at halftime full-time bets... That was very reliant on there being low-scoring games and there simply aren't as many low-scoring games anymore. So we're going to have to see if we can just find a, a, a different edge. I'm going to do some analytics this weekend um, to see if the bookmakers are lagging behind and the market makers are lagging behind when it comes to um, the amount of points scored and you know yardage and things like that that are knock-on effects of it. I say the bookmakers; they all just follow the Vegas lines, but have all the Vegas lines behind. I mean, certainly sixty-two point five, whilst being the highest total points line of ever in NFL history, uh, it got smashed. So, excuse me. Um, the World Chess Championship is in a very interesting position. Uh, This is Magnus Carlsen against Fabiano Caruana. It's a best of 12 match, so first to six. It has been stuck in a four and a half all deadlock for what seems to be forever. In fact, there have been nine straight draws, which is the longest streak of games to open a match without a decisive result in the recognised 132-year history of the World Chess Championship. Um... A freshly bruised Magnus Carlsen, reports the Guardian, came dangerously close to landing a decisive blow in Wednesday's ninth game of this tightly wound defense of the World Chess Championship against Fabiano Caruana in London until a moment of impatience allowed his opponent off the hook and left the best of 12 games match no closer to resolution in a a four-and-a-half all-deadlock. The 27-year-old champion sporting a bandage over a black eye absorbed in a collision with a Norwegian journalist during a kickabout on Tuesday's rest day, harried the American challenger out of his preparation early and pushed him to the brink of disaster in the middle game, but one rushed misstep gifted Caruana the slack he required to hold for a 58-move draw, with three classical games remaining and the gnawing spectre of a tiebreaker looming even larger. Now, I don't know a lot about betting on chess. What I do know is that this is nine straight draws, which is the longest streak of games to open a match without a decisive result in the recognised 132-year history of the World Chess Championship. And according to the journalists, we are heading towards a tiebreaker. Everything about this smacks that this is an even-money contest. And yet when I look on the exchange, Magnus Carlsen is 1.51 and fabiano carano is up near three now why would the markets be so offset in something that looks like a coin flip to me i don't understand it and i shouldn't really bet on things that i don't understand but having a small mug and caruana just because i get the feeling That whilst there are people in the world that shape these markets that know more than me about the history of Magnus Carlsen and Fabiano Crano, they possibly have put too much emphasis into history, past results form do you have form in chess i don't know um but it just like uh, there's there could there should be some imbalance if there's some reason but not that much imbalance and the same goes for the showdown at shadow creek which is tiger woods versus phil mickelson i saw a really funny tweet what was it this um it's 1999 to pay for this on pay per view which coincidentally is the same year that the person tweeting would have been interested in this showdown. Um, It's this weekend as well, isn't it? Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson are putting up $9 million of their own sponsor's money. (laughs) as a prize which will all go to charity so you know they don't need the money um in a one-on-one um golfing match and you know tiger is on a resurgence but is still resurging although he is at the moment duncan's pissed me off because he is number one on the tracker with mint bet tiger woods to win a major in 2019 five to one to back 4.16 to lay i keep meaning to find out what the limits are on this but it's mint bets i'm very suspicious of them i feel like i'm going to log in and deposit 100 pounds and then they're going to allow me to get a tenner on this but it's 144.38 EV, and it's four months away and i just feel like duncan's going to have that position at the top of the tracker until this one goes off um So Tiger is 5.9, sorry, um, 4.1 fair market price to win a major next year. And I bet Phil isn't. But Phil has showed a lot more consistent form over the last few years. And again, this is sort of one-on-one golf. Anyone can have a poor day. Um, So this should be pretty close to even money, the two of them. Well, it's the same odds as the World Chess Championships. Tiger Woods, 1.56, Phil Mickelson, 2.72. Again, that should be much close to evens. The people setting these lines are probably putting too much emphasis um, on recent form and not enough emphasis on value and the fact that coin flips tend to be closer to coin flips than 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 they may think. I haven't seen too much value around for this considering it kicks off tomorrow basically because the markets are inefficient and you never see massive amounts of value when the markets are inefficient because they would be easy to take advantage of. Sky have got Tiger Woods to win hole one and win the match up at 92. Considering he's 1.5 to win the match um, if if that's right, which I think it isn't, that would mean that he would need to be about 3.75 to win the first hole. Is that fair? I mean, bear in mind, the majority of the time they'll tie it and occasionally fill once every, maybe. I don't know. I don't think it's good. I'm not going to be betting on that at 92. Not that I'll be able to get any money on Nicholson to birdie the first hole also at Skybet 4-1. to one. I don't know. I would have to see him. Um, um, you, know, you never know if the first hole is the hardest hole at Shadow Creek. But it should be interesting to see if any value comes about before 8 o'clock tomorrow night when those two kick off in terms of um, just what I personally am going to have small bets on because i'm generally if i don't understand things it's more often because i'm wrong other than i figured something out that other people haven't but i'm going to be having a little bit of a bet on phil mickelson and a little bit of a bet on fabiano Caruana as the outsiders of both of those tournaments because i think they should be both a little bit closer to the evens line okay guys that's enough for the first half you are listening to the bashcast and it's brought to you by bookie bashing I can't seem to face up to the facts I'm tense and nervous and I can't relax I can't sleep cause my bed's on fire Don't touch me, I'm a real wire. Welcome back to the Bashcast. That was the original OG mix of The Talking Heads Psycho Killer by DJ Sneak 2018. In the bookie bashing news we revisit a story that just not very interesting. If you remember, back in, I think, May, in the Bashcast, we spoke about poker professional Gordon Veo, who had made it into Forbes magazine. The headline back in May, Poker Pro, who has won over $6 million in live earnings, sues poker stars for $700,000 prize. story here was that Gordon Veo had filed a lawsuit against PokerStars for not paying him uh, roughly $700,000, which he won in the 2017 Scoop, which is the Spring Championship of Online Poker tournament on um, on PokerStars. Veo questions PokerStars' position that payment is not owed based on Veo playing from within the US in violation of the law. Um, the lawsuit, which was pending in U.S. District Court for the Central District of California includes counts of fraud and deceit, false advertising and breach of contract. Veo says that PokerStars have no grounds to withhold payment after he provided evidence showing that he was clearly in Canada during the entirety of his play of the Scoop tournament and that PokerStars had previously authorized such play within Canada's uh, borders. In response to... Furnishing what Veo alleges to be verifiable evidence of his whereabouts, PokerStars' position was that it was still not inconceivable that Veo was in the US at some point during the tournament, and as such, Veo's appeal for the release of funds was denied. Um, Veo claims that PokerStars have engaged in a practice of approving US citizens and residents to play on the PokerStars.com site, happily taking their money Then, after a US citizen wins a significant amount of money, the defendant conducts a sham investigation into the user's activities and the location of the user's access to the site, placing the onus on the player to retroactively prove that it is inconceivable that his or her play could have originated from within the United States. Veo says, I'm deeply disappointed it has come to this, but feel that taking legal action is necessary to protect my rights as well as that of other PokerStars players who are in my situation. But may not have the means to get their message out and protect themselves against the unwarranted bullying tactics that I have experienced during this ordeal, says Veo. And back in May, PokerStars had not responded for a request for comment from Forbes magazine, so everyone was kind of mad at PokerStars. They were thinking that they were being very heavy-handed with Gordon Veo, especially since he's provided proof to PokerStars that he was in Canada. Because after Black Friday in 2009, you could no longer... The FBI shut down PokerStars, Full Tilt Poker, and Absolute Poker Ultimate Bet. Um and essentially made it illegal for people within the US to play online poker and of those three poker providers online providers full tilt and absolute poker ultimate bet are no longer but poker stars they kind of they assisted the FBI with their investigations they paid like a 900 million dollar fine And they have behaved in a way um, such that they are on side with the American government, presumably so that in the future they will be able to provide a poker platform in the US, which is obviously the biggest poker economy and so is vital for them. So because they want to do everything by the book, they don't just want to allow people to VPN in from the United States of America. They want to sort of actively find the people that are using a virtual private network um, and catch them and ban them. So they say that Gordon Veo was using a VPN from within the United States of America to play poker. And Veo says he was in Canada and he said that he always uses a VPN. Um, now... I never use a VPN. I sometimes understand people do because they are concerned about privacy and security. I'm not that concerned about privacy and security. I, I have a clear conscience in that everything, I'm not doing very much wrong or anything wrong, really. And so if anyone wants to snoop on me, I'm I, I'm fine with them determining what my activities are. Other people, though, I respect the fact that they are more concerned about privacy. They don't want people to know. So they use a VPN. But a lot of people use VPNs to circumnavigate uh, loopholes with advantage play, both at poker sites, casinos, and bookmakers. And casinos and bookmakers, they know this. So I think they're automatically suspicious of VPN usage. Um, Now, the VPN apparently showed Veo... to be in in Canada. But now it's come to light that, well, there's more information. Um, Gordon Vale provided proof that he was in Canada, and the proof was telephone records and bank statements, and on the bank statements, it shows that he had ATM transactions in Ottawa in Canada on the days in question when he cashed for a significant amount of money in the Scoop tournament. Um, so it does appear that poker stars have been very heavy handed and this is unfair on a legitimate poker professional claiming his winnings. The bang statements have been posted online and this is where the story gets interesting. As it transpires, Gordon vale was not in Canada during the scoop tournament. And Gordon vale went to a forger with his bank statement and asked the forger to edit the bank statement so that it looked like there were ATM. ATM transactions occurring on the in May 2017 from Ottawa in Canada. and these ATM transactions are for 100 US dollars, 200 US dollars, 300 US dollars so etc etc. Et and at the bottom of his um, statement, which is like eight pages long, there is total withdrawals and debits from his account in that month of minus $6,657. So he spent $6,657 that month. And it, if you simply add up all of his withdrawals from his account that month, the sum comes up to a completely different figure. And... If you look at the amount of money that is being withdrawn from the Canadian ATMs, it's exactly one hundred US dollars, two hundred US dollars, three hundred US dollars. Now, what's the US dollar to Canadian exchange rate? Dollar to Canada dollar? Because I don't know Canadian. Dollar. I have uncles and aunties in both US and Canada, but I never try from one to that. It's one point three two Canadian dollars to the US dollar, right? So if you were taking $100 out of an ATM, you'd actually be asking the ATM for $132 Canadian dollars. And if you were taking $200 out, you'd be asking the ATM for $264 Canadian dollars. And Canadian ATM machines do not provide one Canadian dollar bills. So it's not possible to take out exactly 100 US dollars, 200 US dollars, 300 US dollars, like is being shown on the card statement, the bank statement of Gordon Veo. is pretty clever of PokerStars to figure out who are based in the Isle of Man. But then saying that, this is so stupid from Gordon Veo because he's gone out and forged this document. So he sent this in to Poker Stars as irrefutable proof. And as for as um Forbes magazine stated all the way back in um May um Veo alleges to be to have furnished Pokestars with verifiable evidence of his whereabouts. Well yeah he did. It's just he made this evidence up. <laughs> and now when he says that poker stars are acting fraudulent. This is very fishy, coming from Veo, and all of a sudden, all this sympathy with Veo, saying that this large corporation poker stars who didn't talk to anyone, they didn't talk to Forbes, they didn't talk to any poker sites, they just sat on this. Now we're starting to understand what was going on. So he submitted phone records, which I haven't seen, but they were also forged. And he submitted um, his bank statement, which you can see if you Google it online. And he went to a forger and paid the forger some money. And obviously didn't check it when the forger sent him the forgery back. Now, if I was submitting a forged document to PokerStars for claiming three quarters of a million dollars, I would probably make sure... I would be so worried that the forgery wasn't right. I would be going through that thing with a fine-toothed comb and making sure that it's right. I wouldn't just accept it. But apparently the forger, he couldn't keep his mouth shut, whoever this guy is. So the forger was telling people, you know, I've done this great forgery for Gordon Veo, probably like getting business, you know? Like, I'm the world's best forger. You're really not. I've done this business for Gordon Veo. And someone that didn't like Gordon Veo heard this information. And he went to PokerStars and said, look closer at the bank statements because they are a forgery. And I know who did it. So PokerStars looked again. And they actually got in touch with, with the forger. So... This forger has double-crossed Gordon Veo, and for whatever reason, maybe it was financial, maybe he was just, um, maybe PokerStars were saying, we're going to go to the US authorities and tell them about your forgery business, perhaps it was that. But for whatever reason, um, the forger started cooperating with PokerStars and furnished them both with copies of the original bank statement and the forged bank statement, so that PokerStars had both copies. This is really sneaky. If you ever send utility bills into um, bookies, uh, um, would you ever think that their investigative reach would be this far? So, uh, apparently Pokestars had this. They had proof that the phone records were forged. I'm not quite sure what that proof was. And even then, they say they had more evidence that Veo was not in Canada at the time, but was in the United States of America. So perhaps his VPN line dropped and then his computer connected to the IP address of his home computer and they suspected it from that. But they then sent an, a letter to Gordon Veo's legal team demanding that Veo dismisses the case with prejudice and I think that means that he has to sort of admit that he was completely in the wrong and with prejudice over in America means that he can't then sue Pokestars in the future that this case is dead and buried Um, but instead Veo's legal team I think realising that he'd lied to them and he'd provided forgeries they just ditched him they said right we're, not, we, we're embarrassed by the fact that you have made up all this stuff and you've lied to us and you've lied to them, so we're no longer going to represent you. So they ditched him and he had to get a new legal team. And they stated that Gordon Veo would only be dismissing the suit without prejudice. And that what that meant was that they were still leaving the door open. So I think they were sort of saying, okay, maybe... Maybe I did forge the documents, but I'm still going to fight this case to try and get the money by other proof that I was in Canada. I think that's what was going through Gordon Veo's head. And poker stars seem to be utterly pissed off with this. And they've said, OK, we are going to now be claiming all legal expenses incurred, which is, you know, both the lawyers that they have to um, that they had to hire over in California, because that's where the. That's where the claim was submitted, not the Isle of Man or Canada, which you'd think it would be if the offence had taken place in Canada. But they had to hire lawyers over in um, uh, California. But not only that, they probably they had to like have an investigation into his location at this time. Um, and so they are going to be claiming the best part of three hundred thousand dollars in legal fees um, from Gordon Vale. As a result of this, so from everyone being sympathetic with this guy and thinking that he deserves the $700,000 and PokerStars are acting heavy-handed and he said, I'm deeply disappointed but feel like taking legal action is necessary to protect my rights as well as other PokerStars players in my situation. Um, To protect against unwarranted bullying tactics. Do you know what I hate most in the entire world? This is a real bugbear of mine. Bullying is a complex subject. And of course, some people throw their weight around and their perceived notion of seniority. And to me, I always think the most important fact to remember is if you think you're being bullied by someone... Look at that perceived notion of control power and seniority that that person has. Either they don't have any, and you can, and you probably should, just walk away from them. Or if they are in a position where they are your, you know, girlfriend or boyfriend or partner, you should consider walking away from them. And if they're a boss, go get another job. I know they shouldn't be doing it, but in all honesty, tigers, leopards don't change their spots, neither do tigers. <laughs> so. Um, just remove yourself from the bullying situation. Because to me, you know, I'm, I would refuse to be bullied. I'd be like, I'm either going, you, you're going to stop or I'm going to go, but the situation isn't going to continue. Um, but then you have people who claim that they are bullied or people bully them. And it's just a defense mechanism about um, uh, against people who were... Had a different viewpoint to them. And this isn't bullying. This is just disagreement or seeing a different side of the same coin. Um, And some people use the word bullying to win an argument. It's really frustrating. And here, Veo has said uh, in a legal document that he wants to protect against unwarranted bullying tactics. Well, this is a guy who is fraudulently photoshopped forged a bank statement to suggest that he was in one country when he was in another. So you don't get to use the word bullying and if you're caught out that's it. Um, You're done. I mean at the bottom of this communication between the lawyers of Veo and the lawyers of BetStars uh, PokerStars, I like this one line that they used uh, which says Um, consider that the high-flying Veo, who won well over $4 million as the runner-up of the 2016 WSOP main event, has likely destroyed his personal brand. It's likely to be the metaphorical cold day in hell before he gets another product or brand endorsement offer, just to cite one example. Are there any edges anywhere? The UK's best paid boss sees a pay rise to two hundred and sixty-five million pounds. Denise Coates, who was um starting off work in Stoke and Trent in the late nineties, hey, Denise, who wasn't? Um my family moved to Stoke and Trent just for like the last couple of years of sixth form, so I was only there for like two years, but like really important two years, right? When you're 16 and 17, just before you head off to university, it was the Sasha and Digweed sort of mid-90s techno trance years. Um, and I went off to university to study, and Denise Coates, she got a first-class degree in eco econometrics which is the application of statistical methods to economic data from Sheffield University before joining the high street betting firm Bet365 which was run by her father. She identified the potential of online gambling in 2000 and invested in the domain name Bet365.com so that she could drive the family business in that direction. The firm's accounts this year show compensation for the firm's highest paid director, rising to £265 million, including dividends, and that was £48 million higher than the total she received last year as the popularity of online gambling continues to grow. The privately held company is owned jointly by Ms. Coates and members of her direct family, Including her brother John, who is joint chief executive, and her father Peter, the firm's chairman. And last year, Miss Coates' pay and dividends were reported to total two hundred seventeen. So she got two hundred seventeen last year. Um, that was including dividends. So one hundred ninety nine before that. So two twenty this year. One hundred ninety nine last year. Fifty four in two thousand sixteen, and then it sort of halves every year. Thirty, thirteen, five. Right. So that's doubling every year more than doubling between 2016 and 2017. That's not bad for a gig. You, your salary doubles year and year and year and year, is it? Bet365 is now the largest private sector employer in Stoke. has millions of customers online. I think a lot of the profits come out from China and places like that. It offers sports betting, poker, casino games and bingos. The accounts showed that the firm's revenues grew by 25% in the year, to the end of March, and operating profit was up by 31%. And then there's lots of things about online gambling and criticism, which is just sort of paint-by-numbers journalism, really, isn't it? Um, Luke, Luke Hildyard, spokesman for the High Pay Centre. Imagine trying to get a rise there. Imagine your PDR at the High Pay Centre. <laughs> which campaigns against excessive executive remuneration, said betting companies are not exactly a force for good in the world. Oh, here we go. There is an increasing perception that big business only serves the interests of an elite few. A billionaire taking hundreds of millions more from a company that profits in part from other people's addictions does does nothing to dispel that perception, he said. Miss Coates, 51, who lives in Cheshire with her husband Richard Smith, also serves as the firm's property director and their children. The group owned Stoke City, which made a loss of £21 million um, in 2017. Is that all? Um, And the group paid £75 million into a charitable fund set up in Miss Coates' name. She gave £75 million to charity before you want to start throwing daggers at her, which I think is very honourable. I mean, looking at the... Compensation of other FTSE 100 top CEOs. So Denise paid 75 million pounds into charity. Um, Jeremy Darrock of Sky earned 16 million pounds. Nikandro Durant of British American Tobacco 10 million pounds. Martin Sorrell of WPP 13.9 million pounds. Jeff Fairburn of Persimmon 47 million pounds, and Bob Dudley of BP 10 million pounds. It's a lot. 200. 65 million, I'm not going to lie. I was listening to... There's been a lot about gambling addiction and things like that in the news recently. But here is the problem with allowing some sectors of society, particularly those that are ignorant, to have to be vocal and to have voices about subjects that they know very little about. This is... Not quite the same as those feminists who have a problem with Marks and Spencers, the, one of the largest underwear-selling companies in the United Kingdom advertising the underwear that they're selling. This is more people being angry and jumping on bandwagons because they've got, I think, very little else to focus their attention at in in their lives. I was listening to Sheila Fogarty on LBC. um the other day as I was driving down the motorway and she was doing a our children exposed to too much gambling segment which it's like a cosine curve this just comes around and goes away and comes around and goes away and I don't think the subject will ever go away fully and someone rang in and they were a campaigner against gambling advertising towards children which is a very niche thing to be a campaigner against, but I'm going to assume, given her level of knowledge, that she is an all-round expert campaigner and a, a novice at the subjects that she's campaigning at, because she said she was informing Sheila Fogarty. I should have got the audio for this. I thought about doing it at the time, but I didn't write down the time that it was said. So I can't be bothered to scroll through the play again. But she said, apparently, did you, did you guys know this? There are now not just bookmakers online, but places where you can go and bet against your friends. They're called betting exchanges. And basically, they're like the new social networks. They are social networks this new type of social networks where you become friends with your friends where you and you bet against them. And this kind of direction is totally going to be aimed at children and bringing children into advertising. And that's what she said. She said that exchanges are a new type of betting that are a social network designed to bring children. Now, listen... Um... I don't even know what I think about the exposure of gambling towards children. I mean, everyone is responsible for their own actions. I'm I'm kind of annoyed that I can't walk into a William Hill or a Betfred with my two-year-old daughter and collect money because the law says that you can't expose her to it. The more you hide things away from children and say you're not allowed to look at that, partake in that, see that or anything like that, the more that children, especially 14, 15, 16-year-olds, are going to want to do it. Why are there fewer alcoholics in Spain and France? Because children are welcome to sit at the table and have a glass of wine at the age of 12, 13, 14 with the dinner. And Sasha and Ewan will be welcome to at my table as well. Why are there more alcoholics in the UK and America? Because there's this element of society that feels like they're protecting children against the harms and the dangers But really by protecting them and saying thou shalt not look at a can of lager until you're 18 or 21 in the United States of America, you set up these years leading up to then, 15, 16, 17 in this country and 18, 19, 20 in America, where drinking is underage drinking. And it's this awful description of this really horrible activity that needs to be stamped out and is really dangerous. And so they do binge drinking and fraternities. And I did it when I was 16, 17. You go out and you throw as much down as your neck as possible. And that's why, you know, I'm not saying that doesn't happen in France and Spain. I'm just saying they have much more mature attitude and lower levels of teenage alcoholism because they don't pretend that it's this taboo subject that needs to be hidden away from children for their defense. And gambling the same. There's no difference between gambling and stocks and shares, other than stocks and shares trading isn't advertised on the television. But the processes and the means are there to stop a child opening up a betting account and playing with their pocket money. And if the best that they can do is get a campaigner onto Sheila Fogarty's program on LBC to explain that there's these new things called betting exchanges, which are social networks for children, then... That's the moment that I stop listening to them and give them absolutely no credit. It's like, just, you continue campaigning away in the corner and being angry. And I'm going to go away and read stories about Denise Coates making £265 million. Stink has rocked The world of professional darts, as two players accused each other of repeatedly breaking wind during a match. Gary Anderson of Scotland and the Dutchman Wesley Harms blamed each other for rotten farts during the clash in the Grand Slam of darts. Anderson, who has twice been the world champion, won the match 10-2 to earn a place in the quarterfinals of the competition in a post-match interview was accused by Harms of poor form due to Anderson breaking wind on stage and leaving a fragrant smell. However, he went further while speaking to Dutch TV station RTL 7L. It'll take me two nights to lose the smell from my nose. There's a twist here, though. Because when Anderson in turn laid the blame at harm's door, the Dutchman responded, If the boy Anderson thinks I farted, he's a thousand and ten percent wrong. I swear on my children's lives that it was not my fault. I had a bad stomach once on stage before and admitted it, so I'm not going to lie about farting on stage. Anderson, the world number four, hit back with extraordinary detail about the smell he blamed on harms. It definitely came from tableside, and it was eggs, rotten eggs, and not from me. Every time I walked past, there was a waft of rotten eggs. So that's why I was thinking it was him. It definitely wasn't me. My Scottish, I not It was bad. It was a stunk. Then he started to play better, and I thought he must have needed to get some wind out. If somebody has done that, they need to see a doctor. Seemingly, he says it was me, but I would admit it. Anderson has admitted to farting on stage in the past. It was clear that he has never used this to his advantage. (laughs) As a man who has previously suffered... With a bad stomach for 10 years, to the point actually where I had surgery to remove some of my stomach, I have been able to clear pubs before. So I have sympathy, but you've got to own up to it, even if you don't want to. And one of them, well, Barry Hearn has vowed, and this is real, I'm not making this up Barry Hearn has vowed to get to the bottom of Fartgate Saga which has rocked darts. He has promised not to turn the other cheek over Fartgate. I guess people wonder if blowing off might constitute advanced gamesmanship. Then again, referee Russ Bray was just about within farting distance. Something doesn't smell right. There is nothing worse than a silent fart. This could run and run. ...who we're putting into uh, the Bashcast Hall of Fame this week. The Bashcast Hall of Fame In his autobiography, A Life in Parts... ...Brian Cranston, who played Walter White in Breaking Bad... ...describes the lesson he learnt... ...that helped him go from an average actor to an extraordinary one. Early in my career, explains Cranston... I was always hustling, doing commercials, guest starring, auditioning like crazy. I was making a decent living, but I felt like I was stuck in junior varsity. I wondered if I had plateaued. Then, Breck Koston suggested, I focus on process rather than outcome. I wasn't going to the audition, to get anything, a job or money or validation. I wasn't going to compete. I was going to give something. I wasn't there to get a job. I was there to do a job. I was there to give a performance. If I attached to the outcome, I was setting myself up to expect and thus to fail. My job was to be compelling, to take some chances and to enjoy the process what's coming up this week this is a really busy week after being quiet um for ages the premiership is back um seven games on six games on saturday and what we're going to be looking at for here is William Hill's Daily Goals offer, which seems to be the biggest value going just now. And we've now got a model up and running. And sooner rather than later, it's going to be up on the site and more formalised. But that's uh, where the big money is, I think. Um, as well, obviously, is Fred's Pushers and Seventh Heaven coupons. Uh, the evening game on Saturday is a corker. It's Tottenham versus Chelsea. Sunday, Bournemouth play Arsenal and Wolves play Huddersfield. And the game of the weekend they're keeping it until Monday Burnley play Newcastle and that's because it's Champions League next week with Manchester United and Ro- uh, Young Boys Roma Real Madrid should be actually a very decent game over in Italy Tottenham have got Inter and Liverpool away to Paris Saint-Germain in what is definitely going to be the best game on either day as I hit the bonus on Real Rush and here we go just to finish off the bash cast Oh, well, look at that. That's a two and a three and a two and a two. So that's lots of combinations of, but it was only the little yellow fruit, so it's not future that hasn't exploded. I hope it does explode soon. We've also got, of course, the golf, the showdown between Tiger Woods and Phil Nicholson. We've got the World Chess Championships locked at four and a half apiece, and hoping that William Hill are going to find a race and go crazy on it, but we won't know which race it is, or even if they do, until tomorrow night, Friday night, whatever it is that you're betting on, do make sure it's value. This is Tom, signing out. This is Big.